Thank you for joining Crossroads Community Church today. We're so excited about what God's doing in the lives of the people of our church and the lives of those who are listening online. If you have any questions or want more information about our church, visit our website at www.crossroadsccl.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now let's jump into the Word with this week's message. Well, there's a story of a man. He was an actor. He's a part of a passion play. And uh, the passion play was being performed, and the guy was playing the part of Jesus, and he was taking the cross up the hill during the passion play. And amongst the onlookers, there was this heckler, and he was just kind of heckling and making fun of the play. And this guy, he wasn't the most patient, he had quite of a temper. And after the guy continued to heckle, he put the cross down. And dressed in the garb and the role of Jesus, he went to that guy, punched him in the face. Well, they got through with that part of it, and the director says, look, you can't do that. Number one, it's not good on the, for the play. Number two, that's just not what Jesus would do. He never retaliated like that toward anybody. So, okay. So the next day, they do the passion play again, and there's a guy playing Jesus, and he's taking the cross up the hill, and there's that heckler again, and he's going stronger than ever. He's being more belligerent, more rude, and the guy just loses it. He puts the cross down, goes up to the guy, punches him in the face again. The director says, after it was all over, he says, look, I can't have you do this anymore. You're fired. You're fired. He says, look, I really need this job. I really need the money. I promise I can get it together. I can control myself. Just give me one more chance. And so the director gave him one more chance. It was the following day. Same scenario over as the same heckler. And he was going as hard as ever, being rude and being belligerent. And the guy playing the role of Jesus, you could see him clenching his fist and grinding his teeth. But this time he did something different. He put the cross down and he walked over to the heckler and he says, I'll meet you and we'll deal with this after the resurrection. (laughs) Last week we talked about patience. Developing patience and one of the biggest parts of love is not just what you do for somebody in kindness, but it's what you refrain from doing when you're patient. And we said that some of us, we have a lot of, <clears throat> of love in terms of what we're willing to give. We're willing to sacrifice, we're willing to give the shirt off of our back to help anybody where we can. But when we get offended, when we get hurt, when we get disappointed with somebody, we don't have the patience or the self-restraint to still stick in with the relationship and allow growth to take place. And because of that, we navigate through a lot of shallowness within our relationships. We don't go very deep in terms of the depth of love and how we develop trust and getting to know people. And when it comes to developing patience, what motivates us to do that? We said that love is doing the right thing towards somebody despite how you feel and despite what they deserve. But what is the right thing towards somebody? What is the right response, especially when you're dealing with disagreements? Especially when you're dealing with disappointments? Especially within your family or your work or your church? You're dealing with such a diversity of perspectives that seem to come into conflicts over issues and choices and direction that you want to go. 
And I think the biblical answer is to how do we navigate that? How do we learn to do what is right despite how we feel and despite what someone may deserve comes down to the verses that I'd like us to read together. Let's look at Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10 by way of the screen. Let's read this together. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. When it comes to choosing what is right towards somebody, despite how you feel, despite what they deserve, I believe it comes to that last command within that scripture. And that is the command to honor. Now, what does it mean to honor? To honor means to presume a presumed respect in a relationship. The Bible tells us, for example, to honor our mother and father. Now, honoring our parents, even especially when you're younger, that's not an easy thing to do. It's a presumed respect. The Bible doesn't say respect them when you think they're cool. Respect them when you think they agree with you. Respect them when they're going to go along with what you want them to do. No, you respect them because of their place of authority within your life. You respect them because of where God has established them. Honor is a presumed respect. It is not an earned respect. We're told to respect the authorities who are over us. We may not like to pay our taxes, but we do it because we are to honor the governing authorities. The Bible tells us that we are to honor those who are elderly, those who are older than us. When I grew up, and it was really a a good home, but not a church or Christian home, but I grew up in a culture where for those who were older or elderly, you respected them, you gave deference to them, you helped them. There was this sense of honor you had for them because of who they are, because they had been here longer, and because we were standing upon their shoulders as a younger society. You've seen the movie Grand Torino. Maybe you remember the part in the movie where Clint Eastwood is there in Detroit, one of the areas, and he's looking across the street and he sees this elderly woman who has dropped her groceries. And some young kids are walking beside her. And instead of honoring her and respecting her and helping her with her, her groceries that have fallen, they make some lewd gestures. And they think it's cool and they think it's funny. In a culture of honor is going to be very distinct today from what we often see as a culture of contempt. In the first way that we honor people is the presumed respect that someone has in our lives because of the authority that God has given to them. But there is a second way that we honor. And honor is this. And it's the one that Romans chapter 12, verse 10 is talking about. And let me give you a definition of it. And it's here by way of your notes, if you're in a note writing mood. Honor views people according to their God-given identity 
and call. Honor views people according to their God-given identity and call. This is not just the honor that we give to those in authority or those in leadership or our parents or, or, or that type of thing. This is the honor that we are to give toward everyone within the church and the body of Christ. That we are to view them and act toward them not according to what we see, not according to what we feel, but according to what God says. When you look at Jesus, he was continually honoring people. He looked at Nathaniel when he was calling the 12 disciples. Hardly even knowing him, he honored him. He says, this is a man who is a child of Israel who has no deceit. To the woman who anointed Jesus with the perfume, Jesus says, what she has done will be remembered wherever the gospel is preached. To Peter, who was a loud mouth, who was oftentimes obnoxious, impetuous, Jesus looked at him and he honored him. He says, you are a rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. And with everyone, Jesus looked at them, not according to what others said, but according to what God said. Not according to what others Saul, but according to what God sees. Not according to the name that others gave them, but the name that the Heavenly Father gave them. We saw last week Romans 13, verse 7. It says that love always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. How can love always hope? How can love always persevere? How can love not give up? It does so because it views people according to what God says rather than what we see, which is a greater, stronger, and more definite reality. And when we have honor within our churches and here at Crossroads, it means that we can allow room for differences when we don't have agreement with each other. When we have honor, it means that we believe that God's grace in our lives is stronger than our failures and sin. When we have honor, it creates an atmosphere where people can discover their calling and their purpose and they can adventure out in the way that God is leading them and not fear that they're going to get punished or looked down upon in the journey of that process if they make mistakes or failures because we look at them according to not what we see, but according to what God says. And if we have this spirit of honor within the church, within our culture, it creates an environment for ministry and life to flourish. And you're going to see something so different from the culture of contempt that is often growing and developing within the society and the world around us. So let's talk about what a culture of honor is and how it is that we develop it. So if you have your Bibles, Romans 12, we're going to be going through verses 1 through 10. Romans 12, as Paul lays this out. If you've got your Bible app, go on and turn there. If you don't have your Bible 
as usual, have the scriptures by way of the screen. The book of Romans. Romans has been called the constitution of the Christian faith. It kind of lays out the whole broad view of what it means to be a Christian and what do we have as we are children of God. And in chapters 1 to 3, it essentially talks about sin, the problem within the world that we are in rebellion against God. We have this natural gravitational pull to do what's wrong. But then in chapters 4 to 5, it talks about salvation. That salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ. It's received as a gift. It is by God's grace. It is because he loved us, not because we earned it. And then in chapter 6 to 8, it's sanctification. It talks about now that you've belonged to Christ and you believe in him, how do you live out your life? Not only are you saved from sin, but you are saved to a life of purpose. And so sanctification in chapter 6 to 8 talk about how do we grow? And then chapters 9 to 11 talk about God's sovereignty and deals with a special question of relation of the Jews and the Gentiles and what was God's purposes for Israel and why did Israel fail? And then you come to chapters 12 to 16 and that's where it becomes very practical. It's about service. So now this is who you are as a believer. This is who you are as a Christian. This is how you're to live out your faith. Now, how do you live in community with each other. And Paul establishes the basis for developing a culture of honor. So as we go into chapter 12, starting in verse 1, honor, loving one another, is the focus of where Paul is driving. So the first thing in terms of developing a culture of honor is that a culture of honor, by way of your notes, surrenders control in relationships. A culture of honor surrenders control in relationships. Verse 1. Therefore, Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. When Paul talks about relationships, you want them to succeed, you want them to be effective, sacrifice your life. Offer your life to God and saying, God, I am not in control. God, I can't love in the way that I'm called to. Lord, within my relationships, within the issues, I can't figure it out. And if you want to look at love in the Bible and you want to try to carry it out, and you want to do it in your own strength? As I said last week, you said, I'm going to do this. If it kills me, it will. All right? You've got to give up control and you've got to say, God, I can't love in the way that I am called to. Lord, I can't love. And the first thing that we do when we honor somebody in the relationships that we are in, especially with those who are closest to us, is that we come in with a spirit that says, I'm not here to control you. How many of our relationships would start going a lot better if we had that spirit and we said, I'm not here to control you. I'm not here to fix you. The Bible, is, Paul is saying, is that we do not conform to the pattern of this world. The world is about conforming people externally. You go to the DMV. There's conformity there, isn't there? 
lots of rules, lots of laws, a lot of people there who aren't motivated to give great customer service, is it? I don't think you've ever had anybody say, or I don't think anybody's ever said this, oh, you're going to the DMV. I'd love to go there with you. Can we go there together? That's an awesome place to go. You're not motivated at the DMV because it is about control. It is about rules. It is about conformity. And when you're in a culture, in a community that is about role, the rules and conformity, it squeezes the life of motivation, creativity, and grace out of people. I love it. I'm driving on I-69 or 94 and I love to see when people are kind of in a hurry and they're rushing and you've got those people who are dodging in and out of the, of the flow of traffic and, and man, they're in a hurry. You know they've got to get somewhere. And then what happens? Some a police car pulls up onto the interstate. What happens? That person who's darting in and out of the traffic stays right behind the police car. And guess what everybody else does too? They're like, it's kind of like the pace car, you know, at a, at a, at a, at a racetrack, you know. It was right behind him. And why are they behind him and obeying the rules? Is it because they love the rules? Is it because they're passionate to obey the rules? No, they don't want a ticket. They don't want punishment. And guess what happens when the police officer goes, you know, into the, to the, to the mid-ramp or goes off on another direction? Everybody goes back to doing what they were doing. When you have rules and conformity, it squeezes the life out of us. And when we come into our relationships with this spirit that says, I am here to control you. I'm here to fix you. And if you don't do what I want you to do, there's going to be a price to pay. Then it squeezes out life and it squeezes out honor. So in contrast to this, Paul says, offer your bodies. What you practically live, what you practically do is a sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. You're so angry with somebody because of what they said to you. You are so upset because they hold that opinion in contradiction to what you think. You are so offended because you were overlooked and you were not tapped on the shoulder to do this. And so because of your offended, because of your angry, because this spirit of, of control is rising up within you, somebody's got to pay. And in contrast to that, the Bible says, offer yourself up to God. You are not in control. Your job is not to fix other people. <laughs> Pastor, I just can't do that. I know what they did. I know what they said. I know how things went. I don't like it. And somebody's got to get a piece of my mind. I don't like it. And somebody has to know that they have done wrong. I don't like it. And so somebody is going to have to pay. And I want to say to you, good luck. See how it goes. 
Is it going to make your situation better? Is it going to bring more resolution? Is it going to make your situation improve? Are you going to get what you really need? And we don't want to offer ourselves up to God because we're afraid of what God's going to tell us. I don't want to offer myself up to God because God's going to ruin my plan. God's going to to ruin what I have in mind to do. Imagine, imagine this. That's going to be very hard to imagine. We'll just try, okay? Uh, a teenager coming to a parent or parents. A teenager says, Mom and Dad, I've been thinking. I've been thinking a lot. I realize that you guys have lived so much longer than me. You guys have so much more wisdom than I do. And I've been facing some real challenging situations, and, and I want to lean into your wisdom. I want to lean into your instruction. And instead of just doing what I want to do and what I think is best, mom and dad, I just want to sit at your feet and I want to learn from you. Could you imagine that? Now imagine that happening, and imagine that after mom and dad hears that, and they come out of the emergency room from having a heart attack, okay? What's mom and dad going to do? Are they going to go into the back room and thinking, oh boy, I am so glad. I'm so glad Junior came to us because we're going to make his life hard. We're going to make it difficult. Oh, we're going to really, he's going to really regret that, that he's asked us to do this because we're going to make his life much harder. And somehow we think that with God, don't we? I don't want to surrender to God because God doesn't know what's best for me. But look what it goes on to say in verse 2. But it says, instead of being conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And folks, we want good relationships. We have to come under God and say, God, I'm not in control, you are. And in this relationship with whoever it may be, my child, my spouse, my coworker, my colleague, my my comrade here in church, Lord, I'm not here to control. Lord, I want to be a person of honor. Number two, a culture of honor values the calling of others. A culture of honor values the calling of others. Verse 3, Paul goes on. So you've got the spirit of surrender. You've releasing control to God. Verse 3, it says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Notice this phrase, think of yourself with sober judgment. When the Bible tells us to honor others above ourselves, it doesn't mean to think less of ourselves. It means to think more accurately of ourselves in relation to the communities that we're a part of, whether our family, whether our neighborhood, whether our church. To be a person who honors others more than ourselves doesn't mean that we say, I can't do anything Rather, what it means is that I can't do everything. 
And that we have a culture of honor because for us to thrive and succeed, we can't do life on our own. And we need to be in strong communities. We need strong churches. We need strong neighborhoods. We need strong schools. And so we come in with a spirit that says, I am willing to understand my place. And if you go ahead of me, or if you get promoted more than me, I'm okay with it. I know my place. You know your place. The thing is, is are we working together toward the vision and the mission that we need to? Verse 4. For just as each of us has one body with many members... And these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the other. We think about Crossroads Community Church. It's a body. The body of Christ, a part of it. The two most biggest images in the Bible that talk about the church is that it's the body of Christ or the bride of Christ. And there's a lot of thought out there. A lot of thought out there that says, I love Jesus, but I don't love his church. I love Jesus, I can follow him, but I can't do the church thing, and I can't be a part of that deal. And folks, the church is the body of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. And when we say, I love Jesus, but I don't love his people, it's about like you coming up to me and saying, Anthony, I love your eyes. I love your nose. I love your face. But then kicking me in the shin. My shin's a part of my body. You can't just like this part and not like this part. It's about like when you say, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. It's about you saying, and and this has never been said, they'd be like saying, you know, Anthony, I really like you, but don't bring Brenda. I can't stand her. I I like you, but I don't like your wife. Now, again, that's never been said. Maybe the opposite has been said, okay? Like Brenda, don't bring Anthony, okay? But it's the equivalent when we say that I love you, Jesus, but I don't love your church. It's like somebody saying, hey, I love you, but I don't like your spouse. And listen, if you don't like my spouse and you don't like me, we're not going to have a thing going on together. And this is the point. Can church be difficult? Yes. Can it be hard? Yes. But it is the bride, it is the body of Jesus. And because of that, we honor the work of the church. And as we seek to correct, as we seek to promote, we do so. Not because it is something we own, or we possess, or we're a member of, or we have some type of stake in it that others don't. It is solely the possession and is established 2,000 years ago by the blood of Jesus Christ. And it is here because of his work. And so as we do so, we do so honoring the great value that Jesus places upon his church. Thirdly, a culture of honor values the gifting of others. It values the gifting of others. Verse 6, it says, We have different gifts according to the grace God has given to us. 
if your gift is prophesying, prophesying means to be able to speak strategic words into people's lives. They give pointed direction. Then prophesy in accordance to your faith. If it is serving, the gift of serving means that you're willing to go behind the scenes and do the jobs that are often unrecognized but need to be done in order that the mission will advance. Then, Paul says, if it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. Teaching means to instruct in the truths of the Word of God to understand who God is and who we are. To encourage, then give encouragement. Encourage means that you can promote people, that you can put the wind in their sails as they're doing ministry and doing life. It is giving, then give generously. Some people are blessed financially, and so they give more financially in order to promote the work of ministry. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. Leadership means that they can promote and coordinate direction within the body of Christ. And if it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully, and to show mercy means that you can suffer with people as they're suffering. A wide variety of gifts, but they're all needed. In a culture of honor says, you can be you. A culture of honor allows people to be together, but to be different. A culture of honor respects and equips the different giftings and personalities and callings within the body of Christ. And my job as pastor is not to do the ministry here. <laughs> I couldn't do it all anyway. Require too much time. But I am more of a coach. I am more of a conductor. I am more of a coordinator. My job is to make sure that we are moving toward the vision and the mission that God wants us to do. And so I'm the coach but you're the team. And you're doing the ministry. You're doing the actual work. I am the conductor. You are the orchestra. And my job is to help coordinate everybody towards the vision and the mission that God has called us to do. And sometimes that means as people come to me with ideas, I have to say, you know what, I like that, but but we need to wait. We need to take some time and pray about that because I'm not quite for sure how that fits in just yet. But I'm excited God has called you there, but let's be in prayer together. Sometimes you come to me with an idea, or I come to you and we're thinking about it and discerning what God wants to do, and that needs to be tweaked so that your gifts and your calling becomes compatible with the gifts and the callings of other people. And so we all work together in that spirit of honor which frees and liberates us toward the life that God has called us to. There's a book called Handyman, for the Lord, uh, Handyman of the Lord by William Borders. He tells a story of a man who was a beggar. And he was going around from house to house begging for food. And he went to this mansion on one particular evening. The man of this mansion opens the door and says to him, come behind, come to the back of my house and I will give you some food. And so the beggar goes to the back of the house, and the man is starting to give him food. And he says, but before I give you food, I I want to pray. I want to give thanks to God. And so here's the prayer. I want us to pray, and I want you to repeat after me. And so the man is starting to lead this guy in prayer, and he starts off with, Our Father who art in heaven, 
And the hungry man replied, he says, your father who art in heaven. No, the owner of the mansion corrected, our father who art in heaven. And the guy responded, he says, no, your father who art in heaven. He did it one more time. No, no, say it this way. Our father who art in heaven. And the guy still just says, no, your father in heaven. He stopped, he says, look, here's how I want you to pray. How come you can't say our father who art in heaven? You keep saying your father who art in heaven. He says, well, if I said it was our Father who art in heaven, God might be displeased with me. Because if he's our Father who art in heaven, that would make us brothers. And if we're brothers, that means you would have had to have invited me into your house as an equal, rather than bringing me to the back of the house and just giving me some bread as a beggar. And when we look at the body of Christ, we don't see people according to background, class, whatever it may be. What, what we see or what people say, we view people and honor them according to what God says about them and how he sees them through the death, the blood, and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And that's a culture of honor. And if we have that mentality, it revolutionizes the way that we do relationships. So let me tie a bow on this. Let's bring this in for a landing. And let me give you a couple of ways in which honor makes a difference through some of the tough times in our relationships. The first is this, is that we honor others through disagreements. We honor others through disagreements. I honor you, even when I disagree with you, because I view you according to what God says rather than what I see or what I feel. And what that means is that if in a church, in a community, you have good, capable, strong people, you're going to have disagreements. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when and how do you go through them. And when Paul says honor one another, he's saying that not because it's an easy thing, it is a hard thing. And when you have people who are strong people and you get them together working in a certain direction, you're going to have conflict, you're going to have disagreements. But when we have an environment of honor, we can listen to those disagreements we can bring them to the table and we can have a discussion that is respectful because I am trusting that your point of view is coming from something that we as a team, we as a church, we as a family, we as a body need to hear. And so we're not afraid of the words, I disagree. We're not afraid of the words, I have a concern. We're not afraid of the words, I don't see it that way. But in a spirit of honor, we want to listen to what the other perspectives have to share and talk it through to come up with some bigger solutions. My wife makes some wonderful vinaigrette dressing. And when the vinaigrette dressing has been sitting for a while or sitting, it kind of separates all the ingredients, the oil and the spices and whatever she puts in. And if you just pour it out, it doesn't taste too good. But when you take the vinaigrette dressing and you shake it up and you mix it all together, then you pour it. It has a wonderful taste. 
And so it is within community. So it is in a place where we honor one another. Sometimes things have to get shaken up a little bit. Sometimes we have to work through a period of disagreement in order to blend perspectives, in order to blend viewpoints. Instead of being disappointed, we work together through God's grace. Number two, we honor others through disappointments. We honor others through disappointments. Many of us, and this is a big deal, we think that the sins and the mistakes and the failings of others are more powerful than God's heart for us. We think that the, the failings, the sins, and mistakes are, are more powerful than God's heart for us. And when that happens, when we believe that, we promote what a spirit of fear and control. Because of what you're doing wrong, I am now going to control you. I am now going to fix you. But the spirit of honor says, I'm not going to control you. I'm not going to fix you. I am not going to punish you. But I am going to trust you to God's love. I've had, maybe by the providence of God, the privilege, I guess, if I could call it that, of having two dogs in the last 16 years that are both pit bull mixes. The first was Arnold. He was a pit bull boxer mix. And Arnold lived with us for about 14 years and He's gone on to doggy heaven. I think he's made it there. I'm not quite for sure if he would have made the mark. And then after him, we have Charlie, who we have now, and he is a a bull mastiff. He's a pit bull mastiff mix. And with both of these dogs, they can be very exasperating. Because with a pit bull that's within them, I guess that's what it is. If I would look at them and I would yell at them or command them in a strong, fearful voice, do this, go there, don't do this, stop, whatever. They don't obey. They just tense up. They just get afraid. They just are that way. But if I look at them and I say, okay, Charlie, okay, Arnold, do this, come here, Sit down. Even when I'm mad inside, if I want them to do what I want them to do, I have to do it in a gentle voice. And folks, it's the way within the spirit of honor. When people disappoint us, if we come at them with a strong, fearful, controlling voice, I'm going to control you. I'm going to fix you. It does not promote honor. It does not promote grace. But when people disappoint us, when they fail, but we still express that disappointment, even that hurt, but there is a spirit of honor that we, prom- we promote gentleness, it goes a lot further toward motivating people toward a better path. When that bad report card comes home, instead of acting like it is the end of the world, And that if your kids don't change right away, they're going to end up in the poorhouse in Skid Row. And we're coming on with this strong, fearful attitude that puts a spirit of fear and anxiety in them. We can express disappointment. We can express concern, even give consequences and warning, but still do so 
with the spirit of honor that says, son, daughter, I believe in you. Let's work on this. Let's see how we can make things better. In a culture of honor in the church, we are not afraid when we see people at their worst. Is they're struggling? Is they're seeking to grow? Is God is purifying them? And sometimes the worst comes in. We're not afraid of that because the spirit of grace and honor believes that there's going to be enough love to help move them through those difficult, those ugly times in their life to promote them to the place of health, not according to what we see, but, but according to what God says. And when there is a spirit of honor, we live according to God's calling and his view of them rather than our emotions and what we feel. This is not an easy thing. This is harder. But it is more effective. And it brings life, and it brings freedom, and it brings liberty.